0: In Matthew chapter 8 today. Verses 14 through 34. Gonna read from the word, and then Pastor William is gonna to, going to take us and lead us into this. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowds gathering around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, "'Lord, save us. We are going to drown.' He replied, "'You of little faith, why are you so afraid?' Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, "'What kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him.'" When he arrived at the other side, in the region of Gardenus, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. "What do you want with us, Son of God?" they shouted. "Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time?" Some distance from the large herd of the pig, a herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, "If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs." So he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: All right. Um, these are some harsh words by Jesus. Harsh words, um, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says a lot of things that are hard to take. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is very difficult, um, and this is shortly. This comes shortly after the Sermon on the Mount, where uh, Jesus is saying some really harsh things to. Um, hypocrites, um, to people who consider themselves to be religious and respectable. Here we have some more harsh words, particularly to a scribe, to the religious class. Um, uh, That's the way of Jesus. Some of you appreciate harsh words, straight talk. Um, Some of you not as much, uh, but I think we all need that, right? Hard words make soft hearts. And soft words make hard hearts. I want to be careful not to speak out of pride and arrogance and anger. Hard words coming from a place like that are very destructive. Um, But I want to try and do my best to speak the way Jesus did, uh, to be consistent with his language. Um, And his harsh words come from a place of love, and that is always helpful and constructive. Um, the, the scribe who came to Jesus in verse 19, the religious leader there, says to him, "'Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go.'" And Jesus challenges him here. He says, "'Really? Um, I don't think you're going to go wherever I go.'" Right? Um, I think what's going on here is uh, he said, the, the man is really emphasizing the wherever you go part. "'I'll follow you no matter what happens.'" right?" I'll follow you anywhere, not like these other losers. I will follow you anywhere. And the emphasis is not so much on following who Jesus is. The emphasis is on, I'm better than these people. I will follow you wherever you go. The emphasis is not on God. His emphasis is on um, his ability to follow. I'm awesome. I'm sold out. I'm on fire. I'll do whatever it takes. Where is his faith? His faith is not in the Lord. His faith is in himself In his own commitment to Jesus. Uh, It's not about Jesus. It's about him and his award-winning faith. Um, And so Jesus is harsh with him and says, no, you're not going to follow me wherever I go. And then another disciple comes up to him and says, "I uh, want to follow you, but let me bury my father first." Now we know that the man is that the father is not dead yet because Jewish people, uh, especially in the first century, well, for uh, up until very recently, and even some now recently, will bury uh, their dead within 24 hours of the death. Um, And so if his dad had already died, he wouldn't be talking to Jesus here. Um, The idea is that uh, he needs to care for his father until his father dies. Here's what he's saying, basically. Jesus, you are fantastic, and someday I would like to follow you, but it's not convenient right now. I like your ideas. I want to subscribe to your newsletter. (laughs) Right? I'll vote for you, but I've got some prior commitments. You are on my list of favorite things. And Jesus says to him, that's not going to work. That's not how this works. They're hard words. Um, this, is, this is consistent with Matthew's theme of discipleship. Jesus wants people to come and to follow him, to walk with him, to be with him, to learn from him. But he says, don't pretend to be a real disciple unless you actually are. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And there's a difference. When I was in high school, um, this will date me a little bit and some of you will, um, understand. Uh, we had typing class in high school on typewriters. Um, they're like computers, but, um, (laughs) with no memory, right? (laughs) Zero RAM. Um, anyway, so we're typing along and I remember one guy in our class, in my class, in a typing class, um he, on regular typing paper, he made business cards for himself and then cut them out. Um, and so he had business cards They were just, it was typing paper, and he'd cut them in the shape of a business card. And it said that he was a Jedi Knight, um, which was sort of funny. And uh, then there was a girl in our class that actually thought he had had some training as a Jedi, and that was even funnier. Um, listen, Jesus is saying here, I don't want people to make business cards and put on their Christian unless you are ready to follow me. Those are hard words. Well, let me put it this way. If it became, it's not likely to in the near future here in our country, but listen. If it, were, if it were to be illegal to be a Christian and you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Are you dabbling in Christianity or are you actually a disciple of Jesus. This, this um, passage um, asks two qu- compels us to ask two questions. These are two questions I'm going to ask, and then we're going to give answers to them. Here are the two questions. Who is this man? Or what, actually what the disciples ask is, what sort of man is this? They say that in verse 27, right? What sort of man is this? And so that's what I want to ask us as well. That's Matthew's trying to get us to ask this question. What sort of man is this? And then why should you follow him? Who is he and why should you follow? If you're, if you're a structured thinker, note taker type of person, those are my two points. I'm going to spend more time on the first one than the second one. So when I go along with the first one, uh, don't get worried about your lunch. All right, the second one's shorter. All right, here we go. First, who is this man? What sort of man is this? I want, you to, so I want to think about this scene um, where the disciples get into a boat um, with Jesus. A great storm comes up. Jesus is sleeping in the boat, and they go, and they wake him up. They say, save us. And he says, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And then he rebukes the sea, and it becomes calm. And then they say, who is this? What is going on here? Now, I want you to imagine this. I don't know a whole lot about boating, about sailing, and that sort of thing. But I understand that in, in um, uh, significant bodies of water that... that um, you know, storms can come up like this pretty quickly, um, great wind storms and that kind of thing. And so, anyway, um, it can wreak havoc with, with a little fishing boat like what they've got there. Although, several of these disciples, not all of them, but several of them were um, uh, fishermen. They were used to this sort of thing, but apparently this was a much bigger storm than they were used to. Matthew doesn't give us a whole lot of the details here. He basically gives us the bare facts of the whole thing. But the idea is that Jesus has power over the wind and the waves. Um, and, and and we are supposed to think also, what kind of person can do that? Now the disciples knew that Jesus could help them. That's why they woke him up. They're thinking, you know, they're going along, this is a storm, we know how to deal with storms. And so but at some point they, they get over their head, maybe quite literally, and they go and wake Jesus up because they know that Jesus can help them. But when he rebukes it and everything becomes calm, they weren't expecting that. What is going on here? Now, the, the word here uh, in verse 26, he, uh, Jesus rose and rebuked the wind and the sea. That word, rebuke, he, he told them to stop misbehaving. That's what he did. And like when I was, uh, me and my brother and my sister, in the backseat of our station wagon, when I was a little kid and we were driving on some trip, long trip, and we start misbehaving, and my dad uh, would yell from the front seat, settle down, kid, settle down. And then if we didn't actually settle down, he said, don't make me pull this car over. Right? That's what happened here. Jesus stood up and said, settle down now. And they did. They obeyed. They. The wind and the waves obeyed. That's how Jesus treats the wind and the waves. He didn't usually treat natural phenomena this way, which is why the disciples were amazed. But obviously he could at any point. Who? What sort of man is this? He is the Lord of the natural world. That's who he is. This is how, he is how the natural world came to exist. Genesis 1 says that God spoke and creation sprang into being. And here Jesus speaks and creation responds in obedience. Who else can do that? He is the Lord of the natural world. But not just Lord of the natural world, the next story tells us he's also Lord of the supernatural world. This is the story about, starting in verse 28, when um, they go and uh, to where there's a graveyard, a lot of people are buried there, and apparently two demon-possessed men are living there in the graveyard, um, and Jesus casts out the demons, and he has a little conversation with the the demons that are possessing the men, and then he casts the demons into a herd of pigs that are nearby, and the pigs go and drown in of uh, some water, this is an amazing and disturbing story, to say the least, and I have lots of questions. I have not had much experience with demons personally. Have you all had much experience with demons? Probably a few of you maybe have, but probably most of you not so much right this isn 't the world that we live in a whole lot, or at least we 're not aware of it why because we 're very rational people. Now, I have to tell you that um, the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about demons, but it does seem to talk quite a bit around the ministry of Jesus. If you want to find demons in the Bible, you go to the Gospels. That's where they are. That's where they are. And so there may be some of you here that are saying something like, well, other cultures believe in evil spirits, but we are more enlightened and aware of science. We're past these primitive belief systems. Well, let me respond to that and say um, why would you not believe the same thing about God? See, most of us believe in God. God is the um, personification of everything good and loving and truthful. Right? Why, if, if there is a God, why couldn't there also be evil spirits who are the personification of all that is bad and hateful and false? Well, I don't want that to be true, but my desire has nothing to do with reality. Right? There's a lot of things I wish weren't true that actually are. Why couldn't there be? If there's, if there's a God, there could just as likely be evil spirits. Well, you might say, well, the ancient people here, they didn't really understand all that we understand about science and medicine. And uh, so everything they didn't understand that was bad, they would call it demonic, everything. Um, if, uh, if they didn't understand something, they would call it an evil spirit. Well, that's actually not true. Um, take a look back in, um, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to see this. Turn back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. This is just a couple chapters earlier, right? A few paragraphs, really, earlier, right before the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 4, verse 24. So this is talking about Jesus. So Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him, listen to this, all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them that is to say um they understood the difference between epilepsy and demon possession matthew makes that distinction here they understood the differences between people with different kinds of diseases that's different than someone who's demon possessed some people have some have epilepsy other people are demon possessed um the bible has an incredibly nuanced view of evil and suffering here um this is actually really that's one verse. I could go to lots of verses. This is a common street, a common theme in the Bible and in the ancient world. They did not attribute everything to just one source. Uh, years ago, when I was working on my doctorate, I um, studied way more than I wanted to uh, the um, nonconformist British theologians of the 1600s. How about that? <laughs> Um, These were uh, men and women, mostly men, um, that were writing, uh, who were rebelling against the strict regulations of the Church of England at the time. Maybe you know John Bunyan, um, who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress. He was one of them. Um, Anyway, there was a whole group of people who thought in a similar way um, and thought very, very deeply about these kinds of matters. And their churches were filled with people who were struggling with existential angst which is one of the reasons that I was studying them, because guess what? We live in an age now where there's lots of you come to me and talk to me about your existential angst. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What does God want me to do? And I don't know about this. and Struggling with loneliness and depression is exactly, they were writing about this stuff. Listen, um, hipster culture is not new. Right? There were hipsters in the 1600s, and John Bunyan was one of them. Um, I would recommend to you his um, spiritual autobiography called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. If you can get through the Shakespearean type language, these and thous and that kind of thing, um, he struggled incredibly through that book, and uh, it's a. I, am, I don't struggle so much with that existential angst, um, and so sometimes it can get really tedious. He's wondering, does God love me, and you know, what does he want me to do, and I don't know how to move forward, and all those kinds of things. Anyway, it's a great book if that's your, your uh, way of thinking about things. Anyway, I could give you a huge reading list on this kind of thing uh, from John Owen and Richard Baxter and Thomas Watson and Thomas Brooks and William Bridge. In fact, William Bridge has got, you can buy a little paperback, really cheap, 13 sermons on uh, depression. Uh, Psychology, uh, these guys were doing this stuff long, long before modern psychology. Anyway... um, I bring these guys up because I know that even back then, as they were trying to understand the Scripture, um, what they came up with, and they showed me in Scripture all throughout, is that the Bible has very, uh, a very nuanced view of where evil and suffering and pain and frustration comes from. And so different writers would say it different ways, but think about like depression or, or uh, frustration or pain. It, could come, it may be that the source of it is physical. Uh, or physiological. So something's in your body and what you need really is you need rest and exercise and good nutrition and, you know, a good diet. Today we would a- add on to that good medicine, right? But that may not be the cause of it. Maybe you're co- the cause of your, what's the evil in your life is psychological or social, you're perseverating on some single idea and you're stuck in some pattern of behavior. The remedy here is you gotta get outside of yourself. You need something social, you need social interaction, you need to find some friends, you need to serve your community, you need to experience love over a good dinner with laughter, you need to interact with people more, you need someone to listen and to give you some helpful advice and to help you to think about your life in a little bit different way to reframe your situation. So it could be physical, it could be psychological, it could be moral. That would be a third category, moral or ethical. It could be that you feel incredibly guilty or incredibly shamed or shameful uh, by something that has been done to you or something that you have done. The remedy here is grace and forgiveness. It's confessing what you've done wrong. It's um, receiving the grace of Jesus uh, to realize the covering that he has given you and the glory that you have in Christ that you don't deserve. Um, and then a fourth possible so it could be physical could be psychological could be moral could be spiritual or demonic right you could be influenced by some demon or evil spirit the remedy here is prayer and the word of god and the sacraments Um, today we've got folks in all these categories but most people i find tend to to really think of only one of them as the main thing different worldviews. so we've got some people with a very materialistic worldview all problems, no matter what they are, are physical problems. And so they all are a physical remedy. That is, whatever you're, whatever's wrong with you, um, take a pill. Find some pill, and that's going to solve whatever your issue is. Okay? Or other people have a very psychological worldview. So for all your problems, whatever's wrong with you, you just got to talk it out. Right? Find the right thing to talk about or find the right person to talk to. And if you can, if you can just talk about it, that'll solve your problems. Or other people have a very moral worldview. Right? So all problems, no matter what they are, are moral problems. The, what you need to do is confess your sins. What did you do wrong? Right? And if you can confess that, then that'll solve your problem. Other people have a very superstitious worldview. Every problem has a spiritual remedy. That is, you need to cast out a demon, right? You got road rage, cast out the demon of road rage. (laughs) Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But the Bible's not this way, the Bible's far more nuanced. What is causing the problems in your life? It's very complex. Evil is not simple, it is complex. It is natural and supernatural. It is out there, and it is in here. It is individual, and it is communal. Listen, this is why it's so hard for us to solve our personal problems, because they're really complex. Many people, uh, you know, if, it's, if, if you think of every, everything as a moral problem, you're going to read... Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me, start, let me try that again. There are some people, maybe in this room, who have moral problems... That's the cause. There's some sin in your life that you need to repent of, but you refuse to think of yourself as guilty, and you just can't find the right combination of pills. There's no pill that forgives your sins, right? And other people have um, medical conditions. Say you've got depression, and there's a medical issue going on in your brain. Um, and you keep, and, and I've talked to those folks who keep confessing their sins over and over and over and over again, when what they need is a pill. Please don't dismiss the Bible's view of evil as nuanced and complex as it is. Um, see if that view of evil and suffering doesn't actually explain the world better than what you're holding to right now, your own working theory. Um, Jesus casts out these demons and sends them to the pigs. Why is that? Why to the pigs? I have no idea. I have read up a ton on this. I don't know. And in fact, the early Christian commentators, no one asked that question. It's the first question I have when I read this. I don't know. Um, The main comment that, for the first several centuries of the church that they had about this was how amazing it was that Jesus is being kind to the evil Romans. Anyway, Jesus is Lord of the natural world, the wind and the waves. He's Lord of the supernatural uh, world. The the, um, demons obey him. One more thing on this before I move on. Uh, There are many miracle stories throughout the ancient world world and even in modern literature and movies and stuff miracle stories are really popular but there is a huge huge difference between this story and actually all the stories of jesus and all other stories i've ever heard of miracle stories in all other stories the miracle worker whoever it is appeals to some higher power so a miracle worker in the ancient world commonly, um, in, in the Greek world here, would appeal to Zeus or to Poseidon to do the, the work. When I was a little boy, um, He-Man was really popular. I don't think He-Man is even a, you know, a thing anymore. But I wasn't allowed to watch He-Man. My parents wouldn't let me. But my friends, we would play He-Man on the playground. And I, so I know that when He-Man would ever do his thing, right, what would he say? I see some of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. He would say, by the power of Grayskull." I don't know who Greyskull was, but then he would use his magic sword. Um, Or maybe a little bit more sophisticated literature. Gandalf confronts Durin's bane and says, I am a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of honor. You cannot pass. Right? Um, Here, though, Jesus, here and elsewhere, Jesus never calls on a higher power. Never calls on a higher power. He never appeals to something higher. Because he is the higher power. He is the higher power. What sort of man is this? He is the Lord of the natural world. He's the Lord of the supernatural world. He is the higher power. He was never um, uh, shy about talking about his relationship with his Father in heaven. He talked about his Father in heaven all the time, but he never appealed to him for a miracle. Never highly unusual in terms of miracle workers, because Jesus is our higher power. So now, so secondly, why should we follow him? Why should you follow him? Listen, if Jesus is who I just said he was, who the text I think says he is here, the Lord of the um, natural world, Lord of the supernatural world, he is the higher power. If he is, then he can compel you to do whatever he wants wants you to do, but he doesn't do that. He could say to you, you do what I want or you die. Right? He has the right to do that, but he doesn't. In fact, in the end, he dies for us. He dies a natural death. He dies a supernatural death. He, his death, his crucifixion, um, he experienced excruciating physical pain. Right? He was tortured. He was crucified. There's no worse way to die. There's no greater pain than that. But not just physical, also social, psychological. Right, Social pain. He's cut off from his friends and his family. He is shamed and put outside the city. Social pain. Physical pain, social pain, not just that, but moral pain. All the sins of the world are placed on Jesus on the cross though he was innocent. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The moral pain that he suffered there. And also, of course, spiritual pain. Satan entered Judas to betray Jesus. There was a spiritual battle going on. In other words, at the cross, Jesus suffered holistic evil in our place. And if that's not love, I don't know what is. Let me put it in terms of our present stories here. Jesus um, saves his disciples from the wind and the waves while their boat is about to be destroyed, right? But in the end, the waves of death flooded over Jesus himself. It reminds us actually of the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. You all remember Jonah? Um, He was in a boat with with a bunch of people as well, and the wind and the waves overtaking Jonah's boat, and his, uh, the, his uh, companions come to him and say, we're dying, and he says, throw me overboard. And so they throw him overboard, and just exactly the same way, immediately the storm calms completely, in the same way as when Jesus does it here. Um, in the end, at the cross, Jesus himself is thrown overboard so that we, his companions, could be rescued. But let me tell you, there was no whale for Jesus to save him. He died on that ocean of destruction. Let me put it in terms of the um, two guys who are possessed by demons in the graveyard there. Jesus casts out their demons. Um, it's interesting that they live in a graveyard among the dead, which, because it's a perfect metaphor for their lives, they are alive and yet dead. Right? And, but like, just like they did, at the end of his life, Jesus goes to the tomb, not metaphorically, but literally. The stone was rolled in front of the tomb and it was sealed with armed guards. He takes evil to himself rather than casting it on others. He takes the evil, whatever it is, out of you and casts it to himself. He's the herd of pigs that goes over the cliff into the water and drown and dies. He drinks it all to the death in order to rescue you and me. All of us are a complex combination of natural and supernatural parts. The parts of you and the parts of me, we are incredibly complex creatures. And he is the Lord of it all. And he has the power to do whatever he wants And he always uses that power to liberate us, to love us, never to force himself on us, never to impose his will on us. That is why you should follow him. Because he is a gracious leader, an amazing Lord. When you see how much he has done for you, that will inspire you. It will encourage you to follow him into the hard places of your life. That will encourage you to rise up to his challenge to discipleship. Are you ready to get in the boat with him even if there's incredible wind and waves all around? Are you ready to follow him to the graveyard even if it's demon-possessed? Let me tell you a guy who did that. Um, You all know who Shane Claiborne is? Some of you know Shane Claiborne. Some of you don't, or know who he is. Um, He—I'm tempted to give you a long backstory. I'm not going to do that. He's—he's um, he's worth checking out. He lives in Philadelphia. And there was one time when he um, was uh, at Love Park in Philadelphia. Have you ever been to Love Park in Philadelphia? It's in the middle of the city. It's got the big iconic sign that says love. I'm sure you, if I showed that to you, you'd, you'd know it immediately. But anyway, in the middle, it's more of a plaza. It's a, anyway, he was there, and he was hanging out with some of the homeless folks that were there, um, hanging out in Love Park there in the middle of Philadelphia. Um, and he had been there. He, he, it's a place that he liked to hang out and spend time with those uh, men and women. And he would pass out food. Well, the um, city didn't like that. And so the city decided to pass a bunch of laws to clean up the city. Clean up the city, right? So they passed laws to make it illegal to sleep in the park. And they passed laws to make it illegal to ask for money. And they passed laws to make it illegal to hand out food. And they basically, here's what they were doing. They were making it illegal to be homeless. That's what they were doing. Um, the city was trying to sweep those people away to get rid of them. And um, Shane Claiborne said, you know, was watching all this happen, and he said, we love people no matter who they are or what's going on. Um, there's nobody who needs to be swept away from anywhere. So um, in response to all that, he held a church service there in the park. And they sang and they prayed, and they celebrated Holy Communion, which we're going to do here in just a minute, which means that they passed out bread. Bread and wine and juice. And because of that, passing out food, they were arrested. He was arrested that night. And in the morning, or whenever it was that he went to see the judge, um, he was prepared. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he went and he wore a t-shirt that said, Jesus was homeless. (laughs) And the judge asked him about it. Just said, what are you talking about? Jesus was homeless. Was Jesus homeless? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and so he started talking about Jesus. And he actually quoted from this passage saying, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And later the judge sided with Shane Claiborne and the protesters. In the official statement the judge made, this is, this is a, a quote from it. The judge wrote this, if it weren't for people who broke unjust laws, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have. He's right about that. Now, listen, for God's people, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes uh, things go the opposite direction and it doesn't go well. That's okay. Um, Following Jesus is never safe. Um, There are safer ways to live than by being a Christian. Uh, it was radical love that brought Jesus to earth. And following him will always be dangerous. But let me, give you, let me let you in on a little secret. Not following him is also pretty dangerous. And the question is, which danger do you want? Which boat do you want to get in? The one he's in or the one that's safe on the, at the harbor and is going nowhere? What graveyard is he inviting you into this week? If you want to see miracles like these, God is still doing miracles. If you want to see miracles like these, you got to go with him. And he's going to dangerous places. But he always leads us in dangerous places. We can be sure that he will lead us to life because he went alone to his death for us. And that's what we remember in the table in front of us.